we're talking about discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus, and the reality that uh, when we follow him, he brings the extraordinary into our ordinary. And uh, there's no perhaps greater story than we're going to, that we're going to cover in these uh, couple of months than this story about celebrating the others. And we'll explain that in just a few minutes. But a passage we want to have you follow and dig in with us is Luke chapter 10. And we're going to read just a couple excerpts from that. Luke chapter 10, and Jane Miller has graciously volunteered to read for us. What we do here is we stand to face the middle of the room, stand if you're able, read your own Bibles or follow the words on the screen, because we believe here this is God's inspired word. Jane, when you're ready, from Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Thanks a lot, Jane. You, you can have a seat. <clears throat> This whole story is about the extraordinary and the ordinary. When God sent his son, it was the extraordinary into the ordinary. When Jesus selected his 12 disciples, he selected 12 ordinary kids and poured into them an extraordinariness that would help change the world. And for 2,000 years, he's been using ordinary people just like us and endowing us with his extraordinariness, this supernatural power that allows us to become more than we really are and do more than we're ever capable of doing. And yet, some followers of Jesus through the centuries have become spiritual superstars. And beginning with the 12, they actually wrote gospels and letters that we have to this day. 
And today we have those spiritual heroes, those visible Christians, the Billy Grahams of the world, those television preachers, Christian authors and speakers, and they get all the notoriety. And most followers of Jesus will never write a book. We won't get to go on a lecture circuit, nor will we have miraculous stories to tell. In the Gospels, there's this nondescript, anonymous group of followers who are simply called the others. And this is their story today. And if today's Bible story became a movie, we could call it something like Adventure of the Others. Uh, But no one would go. And the cast would be nondescript. And so there's no notoriety whatsoever in this story until you begin to understand that this story, this story of the others is our story. And these anonymous, nondescript followers of Jesus we can relate to. Let me quickly play a little Bible bingo with you. And just to underscore the point of the others, you see this fairly routinely in the Gospels. Four passages follow, uh, please. The first one we just read. After this, the Lord appointed 72, some scholars say 70, others and sent them two by two. Mark 4 says, when he was alone, the 12, again, the notoriety of the 12 and whom? Very good. The others around him asked him about the parables. And then this passage is fascinating. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had uh, come out. Joanna, the wife of Cruza, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. And what do these women do? They finance the ministry of Jesus. And again, that's one of those Bible trivia questions. Who funded the ministry of Jesus? Well, there was this group of nondescript anonymous women. And a few of these gals are recorded in Scripture. Then lastly, in Luke 24, and again, we have Easter coming in a couple of weeks. When they, the women, came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to whoever it was in the room, the others. Uh, It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. There were other gals who saw the resurrection, who were there at the tomb, and there were others who heard the story. And here's why I love the story, is that when our stories are finally told, we as followers of Jesus, most of us will be numbered in the others. Now, no disrespect, but unless you've got a speaking tour, a book series, or have appeared in some religious movie or two, we're all there with the 70. There's just nothing about us, quite frankly, that's super special at one level. Uh, We tend to hang in the background. Uh, We make a difference quietly. We're off the radar. Whether it's in life or in faith, uh, there's nothing overly heroic or significant. We blend into the fabric. But most of us here would be categorized as one of those types of people, the others. Now, I stand up here once in a while But honestly, my life has been lived as an other my entire life. Um, I wanted to give you one illustration. Now, you know I'm a lifetime B-minus student, so that's where we begin the story. But I I want to show you a picture 
of Brian, the junior in high school. Here it is. Okay, pick me out. I'm one with a little lighter skin. <laughs> to help you. You see it? Or see him, me? Um, junior year in high school. Some of you are into sports and understand the power of statistics. You know what my personal statistics were that year? Of the 20 games we played, I got in seven. And in each of those games, I never played more than a minute and a half. And guess when that minute and a half was? The end of the fourth quarter when the game was decided. Um, you know what my stats were for this season? Seven rebounds. Not per game, for the season. <laughs> Won a game. I did the math over and over. It never changed. I never scored. I tried to foul out, but that's hard to do in a minute and a half at the end of a game because when you foul out, you get your name in the paper, notoriety. Here's me, if you couldn't pick me out, a tough-looking dude for a skinny white boy. You know what I mean? It's 170 pounds of muscle, kind of. Let's, let's go to the next slide, even though it's not time, Carol. I don't want to look at that. Um, It's, I was an other. I was an other. And uh, many of us in life go through life sitting the end of the bench. Again, from a faith perspective, it just doesn't seem like we're making a difference. But this story is our story. And it's fascinating that Jesus chooses 70 or 72, depending on the translation of ordinary people who are equipped to do extraordinary things and in the process, listen to this, these 70 do something not even the disciples could pull off. The 12, you know, the heroic 12. This is where their story begins, the 70, with this. It's our ongoing challenge from that moment to this one. The harvest is plentiful, said Jesus, but the workers are few. Here's the verse. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, Jesus knew at this moment in his life that his time was short. He was shortly to be arrested and crucified. He was heading south to Jerusalem. There were still many villages that had not yet heard the good news. So Jesus needs a additional help beside the 12 getting the message out. And he turns to this larger group of the disciples. And yet the statement is still relevant. The harvest is still plentiful. Workers are few. And Jesus' call still invites us to get involved in the cause, whether they be opportunities here or in local nonprofits or in the lives of people we know and love, situations, circumstances, work, school, whatever it is. The harvest is still plentiful. The workers are few. And it just begs the question this morning, before we move on, I want you to reflect on your life right now and what's your role as a harvester in the kingdom of God? What is it these days that you're accomplishing in the name of Jesus that's making a difference? Because that's when we begin to understand the extraordinary in the ordinary, although unfortunately, we sometimes are very comfortable in the ordinary. God never moves, he never works, he never works through us. What's that about? Well, first Jesus is going to equip them. He trains them. And I think it's, it's not coincidental that Christy just got back from uh, this seminar, this clandestine seminar somewhere in the Middle East for security purposes. 
Uh, we're not supposed to even let the uh, location out, not even the names out. And for a week, these people get equipped. These brothers and sisters, these dear brothers and sisters in the Lord are equipped in the things of the kingdom. And you saw them worshiping together. They worship often in clandestine ways. They, they get together, five or six, in a vehicle and hit the road and worship and have Bible study in their cars so they're more difficult to detect. Uh, they don't gather in rooms like this. They gather in huddles of five to ten for the sake of detection. And one of the things that's so cool is they are also equipped today in, in different ways, but the same way as these 70 were equipped 2,000 years ago. And the day we begin to understand the significance of our calling will be the day in which we seek equipping to fulfill it. See, Again, respectfully, a lot of us aren't overly concerned with our equipping because we don't have a handle on our calling. God, what do you want me to do? Who is it that you want me to reach out to? What is it that you... Once I have a sense of my calling, specific or general calling, you're going to understand the need for our equipping. And the role of TFRC moving forward, we've got to do a better and better job at your equipping because the times, they are a-changing. So this is what Jesus did. First of all, he taught them, he equipped them to function as an advanced team. They were to go out two by two. And this mission is evidently short-term. We don't know any details of the uh, longevity of the mission, the locale of the mission, but they're to go ahead of Jesus to prepare villages and towns for his immediate visits. He would soon visit these same places. It's also, by the way, interesting that after this moment in the history of these folks in the gospel, we never hear of them again. They come and they go, never to be heard from again, these others. And then they're to be aware, Jesus says, go, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. He's saying, followers, this will not be a walk in the park. You'll encounter difficulties. You'll encounter pushback. There will be opposition to our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, literal persecution. So be aware. Don't be naive. Count the cost. And then travel light and trust God. Third, he says, do not take a purse or bag or sandals. He says, leave your security and your insecurities behind. If you do my work, you have no idea what might happen. So travel light. And my guess is he would say the same thing to us. Don't be encumbered by all the stuff that burden us and load us down. But learn what matters most and travel light. And then go with urgency. Kind of an interesting statement, Luke 10, 4. He says, and do not greet anyone on the road. It goes counter, it's counterintuitive to the hospitality of the Middle East, counterintuitive to what we might think we need to do from day to day. He says, don't greet anyone because time is of the essence here. There's an urgency meter at work. Don't worry about hospitality etiquette. Now, in the Jewish community, they translate that word, this is Yiddish, as schmooze. I like that word. It works. Don't schmooze on the road. Schmooze literally means talk, that, uh, talk in a friendly way, chit-chat, engage in idle conversation or gossip. Don't schmooze on the way because there's an urgency at stake. The good news of the gospel is at stake. So Jesus begins by equipping these 70 
And, and then he goes on to equip them with his authority. To this day, friends, when we think God is calling us to something, major, minor, significant, insignificant, he'll provide you with the equipping and the authority. And so here's what the other's authority was about. He endowed the others with his divine authority. And to follow Jesus is to accept and celebrate it. Now, understand that people in Jesus' day saw Jesus teaching with authority. He cast, cast demons out with authority. He claimed authority to heal. He actually claimed authority to forgive sins. Heretical in that culture. And already, had already given the 12 disciples authority to heal prior to this moment. But imagine how we others would have felt, how psyched we'd be when Jesus says, and now, fellas, you're going to, now, gals, you have the authority to heal. Imagine if you were given the divine, supernatural gift of healing. Would that change your weekly routine? Now, it's interesting that uh, one of the things we see is uh, often that we reject authority, we respond negatively to authority. I was just uh, skimming a book called Generation X Christian that described a young man who had left Christianity to become a Wiccan. And some of you are more aware of others. Wiccan is, uh, Wicca is a, a new contemporary pagan cult dabbling in the magic and demonic nature kinds of things. And this young man had been a Christian. He left the, the church. And when you leave, uh, when, you, when you enter Wiccan, often you identify yourself differently. You give yourself a new name. And this young man, I don't have the guy's previous name, but he now called himself Morning Hawk Apollo, which is a pretty cool name if you're going to rename yourself. And he discussed his rejection of Christianity in these terms. Take a look. Ultimately, why I left is that the Christian God demands that you submit to his will. In Wicca, it's just the other way around. Your will is paramount. We believe in gods and goddesses, but the deities we choose to serve are based upon our will. And it's a perfect contemporary religion for someone who rejects or reacts negatively to authority. I create my own truth. I'm master of my own destiny, creator of my own universe. And today, often our initial response to authority is to resist or reject it. But Jesus empowered his disciples and he empowers us with it to heal the sick. And imagine that gift, healing of the sick. You know, I don't know how many of you have the actual gift of healing when you touch people or pray for people that are healed. I don't want to you know, single you out now, but talk to me afterwards. Because we've got a list of 40 to 50 people that need healing, and I'm dead serious. There are dozens more that need a touch of healing. And if you have that gift, and you exercise that gift, and God's blessed you with that gift, you've seen results, please talk to me. Because we're desperate. I don't know why, I don't know why, but it just seems that God chooses not to heal today, at least in our country, the way he healed through those 12 and the 70. 
Instead, he seems to prefer, does God, the body of Christ praying collectively for someone. And even then, the healings don't happen as often as we would prefer. We understand the will of God and all that. But here's what we underestimate, that we're called to bring healing, not just physically, but emotionally, relationally, situationally. And I think for followers of Jesus in a culture that's trying to find its way chaotically, often it's that level of healing that can really make a difference. Do you know someone who's struggling emotionally today? What can you do for them? I don't know that you can fix the problem, but you can bring a little bit of healing in the name of Jesus. How many of us know folks that are really struggling at life in a variety of ways? The authority of Jesus... The, the call of Jesus brings us to this place of, to bring healing. The other thing, the other level of authority that Jesus provides the others is he calls them to proclaim the good news. He says, as you heal, don't just heal, you proclaim the kingdom of God has come near. You don't write that in a sticky note, but you proclaim it. There's good news at work. The kingdom of heaven is so close you can touch it. Even if a town rejects you, you go into the street and say, the the kingdom of God is near. And what's fascinating to the others, the 70, is John the Baptist proclaimed the same words. Jesus proclaimed the same words. The 12 proclaimed the same words. And now your authority has been given to proclaim the same words. The kingdom of God is so close. Of course, people of Jesus' day were waiting for the kingdom to come in power, in glory, to overthrow Rome, to institute the golden era of peace and tranquility. Jesus' kingdom wasn't going to be that. And the people weren't expecting his kingdom, a spiritual kingdom in which Christ ruled by sovereign authority, operating in the hearts and lives of the people who believed and follow him, not in the halls of government or in the military might of generals. The difference was you couldn't stop this kingdom. You can't stop the kingdom of heaven. And when we others go about our daily lives, the kingdom of God is near because Jesus lives within us and his presence transforms all of these relationships and situations. When you walk into a room, you can say to the group of people in the room, the kingdom of heaven is near. I don't advise you to do that all the time, but at least in your heart, maybe it would help us to realize we're making a difference. The kingdom is near when an obedient and faithful Christ follower is in the house. When you get a group like ours today, the kingdom of heaven is near. God's call to bring the extraordinary into the ordinary can happen anytime in any place in your life and mine. I was reading a story this past week of a pastor that stopped at a McDonald's in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And uh, notice a young man from their ministry and their young adult ministry named Peter was working behind the counter at McDonald's. Now, Peter had just graduated from uh, Harvard with a master's degree. And here he is working the counter at McDonald's. Not that there's anything wrong with working at McDonald's or Wendy's, or Burger King, or uh, Culver's. Let's see, shall I start listing? If you're working there, hold on, 
okay? The pastor uh, took a moment and said, hey, can we have a, a cup of coffee quickly? And they sat down together, and, and uh, the pastor asked, what are you doing here? Respectfully. Um, Harvard master's level students generally don't aspire to a career in McDonald's. Well, he said, listen, this is the deal, Peter said. I graduated in May, and it's been four months. I haven't been able to find a job. So I said, I need some income to pay the bills, so this is where I've ended up, at least for now. No big deal. The pastor said, sorry to hear that. It must be really hard. But the young man cut him off and said, hey, listen, don't be sorry. God has me here. This place is giving me awesome opportunities to share my faith. The young man continued, I'm on a shift that includes a Buddhist guy from Sri Lanka, a Muslim fellow from Lebanon, a Hindu lady from India, and a fellow Christian from El Salvador. It's awesome. I get to be a global missionary to my co-workers at McDonald's at the same time asking, would you like fries with that? And maybe that's your calling. As you ask, would you like fries with that? You are going to bring the extraordinary into the ordinary. Simply by understanding you, you've been equipped, you continue to be equipped, and you have the authority of Jesus. There is a distinct possibility, friends, for each of us this week that we will be able to bring the extraordinary good news of Jesus into an ordinary place. Because that's how it works. It's how the church grew. So his authority to proclaim the good news. But then the, the next piece of this is a little bit dicey, quite frankly. The next piece is to warn about the bad news. And this is the passage we, we didn't read aloud. You can check it out now or later. But if a town rejected the 70 who had gone out two by two, rejected them in their message, they were to go into the street and pronounce judgment on this town. I'm not advising all of you to take this one up. Talk to me first. But let me contemporize what they were to say at the corner of Blue Lakes and Poline Road. You Wendellites, Jeromeites, Beulites, Castlefordites, Philorites, you find your own city center and imagine yourself proclaiming this after that town's rejected you. It would go something like this. Woe to you, Twin Falls. Woe to you, Filer and Buell and Jerome, and Wendell and Castleford. If the, and, okay, if the miracles that were performed in your towns had been performed in Mosul or Baghdad, they ho- would have repented long ago. But it will be more bearable for Beirut or Cairo at the judgment than for you. And you, Twin Falls, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to hell. Now, how about that for nice, easy mission? I don't know about you, but if I were one of the 70, could we soften that a little bit? Because I'm not sure people are going to be crazy about that message. But what's fascinating is that Jesus explained, and they understood, that when we go proclaim the good news or one of the bad news, We go in the name of Jesus. And that, my friends, is a really big deal. He said, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. 
the others were endowed with the authority of Jesus. And understand, fellow others, as we leave this place, we represent Jesus. We don't have to be apologetic for what we believe. We represent him. He gives us authority. The Holy Spirit empowers. Now, an official timeout. Don't go out and start condemning people after church, okay? If the service is a little slow at Applebee's, don't, don't, don't start. Don't take this out of context. Don't misuse it. But be willing to stand on truth and stand up for what's right. So the 72 others took their message, their equipping, and their authority and hit the dusty trail. For how long, we don't know. Where, we're not positive. Judea somewhere. And then the others come back. Check this out. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Holy smokes, Jesus, this really worked. And they experienced the joy of fulfilling their highest calling. They returned with joy. And when we step out and begin to do what Jesus calls us to do, we should expect that. And he will bless us even more. He'll bless us even more than we expect. They didn't know they could cast out demons. It's like a bonus fry at McDonald's. It's like a bonus blessing. And we can heal, but we can cast out demons. Now that's cool. Even the demons. The aha moment of their ministry is God surprised them with what he empowered them to do even more than they ever imagined. You think that still works in us and through us? This is a deep joy emanating from understanding. They're impacting lives for the kingdom and what they did in the lives of others that had eternal implications. And that joy is yours too. It's ours when we begin to fill the ordinary with the extraordinary. And that's what following Jesus offers, this unpredictability, the unique opportunities, unique power to stand to go outside our comfort zone to help someone we never think of helping elsewhere. And see what happens, and this is really cool. When we follow Jesus, our, our ordinariness is swallowed up in his extraordinariness. And that's how followers of Jesus live. So not only did they experience joy, but this is the other really amazing piece. They also brought joy to Jesus. Not only did they experience this deep joy, they brought joy to Jesus. Check this out in Luke 10, the last couple of verses. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, and what he does here, he, and you can read it yourself, he launches into this spontaneous prayer, full of joy. In the Greek original language, it literally means thrilled with joy or exceptional rejoicing and exultation. He's not just happy. He's not just affirming. This is not a loving affirmation or, hey, you're doing really good work. I'm so proud of you. This, and I can't do this or I'd pull a hamstring. This is jump up and down joy, deep-seated joy. It's fist-pumping, high-fiving joy. You are awesome, Jesus says. See, these rabbis weren't some professorial teacher. They were passionate against evil, but also when the disciples were doing the right things, He's full of joy. And here's what's amazing. At no other point in the four Gospels is there any reference, whether anything the disciples did, anything else, to Jesus being overjoyed, thrilled with joy. This is the only moment. 
the only moment in the entire four gospels where Jesus is described as being full of joy, thrilled with joy. And it's because of what the 70 did. The others. You know why Jesus was jumping up and down for joy? Paul gives us a clue in 1 Corinthians 1, 27, where he says, God delights, God delights in using the weak and foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He delights in seeing we others make an impact for the kingdom. And don't ever underestimate the thrill of God, the joy of Jesus, when we do. See, when we ordinary folks simply attempt to obey Jesus and reach out to someone else, or or from time to time share the reason for the way we live as Christ followers, or maybe bring someone healing, again, not maybe miraculously, not radically, but just give someone a hug who needs a hug to offer hope, comfort, whatever it may be. We're bringing healing. We're bringing joy to the Father, to the Son. When we speak out and address evil, take that stand that is so uncomfortable to take these days when it's the minority report, we bring joy to Jesus. And for each of us that falls under the category of other, when we step out in faith and obedience, the story of the others allows us to see it will bring us joy. I think many of us know this already because we've experienced it. But maybe what we underestimate, friends, is that when we obey, when we step out in faith, we bring joy to Jesus himself. It's a little bit off the radar, the story and this whole concept of joy. But I want you to think about this week and where God has you placed. Probably will feel ordinary to most of us. No extraordinary agenda this week for most of us, maybe a few. And in our ordinariness, let's pray even before we leave for an opportunity to bring joy to Jesus. And then through an act of obedience, maybe a step of faith, whatever it may be, wherever God has positioned you, let's take that opportunity. And in doing that, you will bring joy. And I would argue this depth and breadth of joy, this jump up and down, high five, you are awesome kind of joy, you'll bring that to Jesus in the process. What ordinary place has God placed you in this week where he's positioned you to do something extraordinary? Let's pray. Father, in in a way, all of us here stand on the shoulders of the 70 others because we're not the people that are going to get all the ink, all the press, uh, the book tours, the movie rights. We're just trying to figure it out, this following Jesus stuff. Each day we live. But Father, help us find that next step of obedience, that Help us to take that next step of faith. Help us to move beyond the ordinariness that we're so comfortable in, in our spirituality, 
And God, through your equipping, through your spirits enabling, through the good news of the gospel, may we proclaim the good news and bring you joy. We ask that in Christ's name, amen.